um, smack dab in the middle of a sermon series on the Holy Spirit. And last week, Dan uh, spoke really um, more of a teaching sermon on um, who the Holy Spirit is. Um, and, and then the, last, the week before that, July 17th, we really talked about the, the work and the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I want to start there this morning um, because it's going to lead us into where we're going uh, for our time. So Ephesians 3, for me at least, is one of the more helpful verses on the Holy Spirit because it tells us um, really the number one role of the Holy Spirit for our lives. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, we talked about several different ways um, the Holy Spirit works through us and in us. Um, and then this is the number one role of the Holy Spirit. And ironically, I think it also happens to be um, maybe the number one barrier in our lives from seeing the Holy Spirit work in our, in our lives. Because how many of you, you read the Bible and you see the Holy Spirit working in these magnificent, over-the-top, incredible ways, especially in the book of Acts, and, and look at the Word of God and just go, uh, wait a second, how come the Holy Spirit doesn't work in my life like that? Anyone been there? Okay, half of you. The other half, maybe read your Bible and pay attention more because it's all over the place. Ephesians 3 says this, verse 20 says, Now to him, that speaking of God, now to God who is able to do far more abundantly, how, how, how much more abundantly? Far more abundantly. Like the idea here is if you had a tape measure, it wouldn't be long enough. There's no measurement that you can make that um, equalizes how abundantly God desires to do all that we ask and think. Now, think of this for a second. Um, try and dream the dream. Try and have the vision of what you desire or what you think would be awesome for the Holy Spirit to do through you. Just, just go crazy on that. Because this verse is saying, God can do even more than that. And the verse says, according to the power that is at work within us. In other words, what is being said here is that a role of the Holy Spirit in your life is to do far more than you could ask or think. The idea is that the Holy Spirit can do more through your life, so much more that when people look at you, they know it ain't you. They know, they know something is going on, but then... Look what we read in verse 21. It is a huge verse because it tells us the role of the Holy Spirit. The reason why God desires the Holy Spirit to work and move in our lives beyond anything we could ask or think. And it says this, To Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Most clearly stated, the role of the Holy Spirit in your life is to do far more than you could ask or think for the purpose of God getting the glory. For the purpose of you making God and the gospel look magnificently great. 
That's the role of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I think, this is, this is just my opinion, kind of take it and run with it, but my opinion is that maybe one of the biggest reasons why we see, fail, fail to see the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives is because we lean into the Holy Spirit to make our lives more comfortable, more easy, more secure. Just, just think for a second the things that you pray for. How often do you get on your knees and ask God to do something through you that you cannot do? Versus how many times do you get on your knees and ask God, God, this raise would be really, really helpful. Will you give me this raise? God, I really want this job. Would you give this job? Lord, this girl's really pretty. She has no idea who I am. Just open her eyes to me. Um, Just how many times do do we pray for stuff that will just make our lives just a little bit easier, a little more comfortable. I want to be careful here because I'm not saying, the Bible is not going to say, hey, it's wrong for you to ask for stuff. It's not wrong to ask God. It'd be awesome to live in that house. It'd be great if we had a car that ran. God, would be, be great. It's not wrong for you to ask for stuff. Just make sure you do it through the lens of James chapter 4 where it says, make sure your motives are right. Make sure it's not about making much of you, but rather making much of Christ. But the point I'm trying to make is that I think one of the biggest reasons we fail to see the Holy Spirit in our lives is because we lean on the Holy Spirit to make our lives more comfortable, more secure. There is nothing more uncomfortable. There is nothing more insecure than living to display the glory of God. If you don't believe me, just read the Bible. Just read the book of Acts and see how many times Paul gets beaten for displaying the glory of God. And so how we ended um, week one is um, what if, what if, because here's, here's how Melissa and I often think when we think of the future. We, we think about, oh, if we could live in this house, the things that we could do. Oh, if we could go on this vacation, how awesome that would be. Because I love going to Disneyland where families fall apart. I just, I can't wait to spend 10 grand on crying children and things like that. Um, I'll have someone else t- pay 10 grand to do that for me. Um, what if instead of praying, God, do this for me to make my life easier? What if instead we prayed this prayer? God, what is it that you are calling me? What is it that you're calling us to do that only you can do through the Holy Spirit that's at work in us? Or maybe you would add to it and go, God, what is it that you are calling me to do? What is it you're calling us to do this next year that is going to make your name look gloriously great to those around us? And so that's the role of the Holy Spirit, that people would look at you and see the Holy Spirit working in you and through you, not to make your life easier, but to display the glory of Jesus Christ. People would look at you and say, they are making the gospel look amazing. Now, as I kind of finished last, uh, the, the week one's sermon, I myself wanted to practice what I preach. And so I started praying that God, you know, call, just reveal to us, what are you calling us to do that will display your glory? And, and we're talking, we were praying about it and talking about it as a, as a couple. And I felt like it raised another question that, that maybe you're thinking about. Okay, Zach, that's a great prayer to pray. But 
how do I know when and what God's calling me to? Because what you're asking me to pray is, is to pray something and then I have to discern what God's will is for that something. And so what we are going to find in this passage we're going to look at is that the Holy Spirit plays a role, a significant role, in how we discern the will of God. How do we discern what is it that God's calling us to do? How is it that we discern what God's calling us to do day in and day out? How do we discern what God's will is for our lives? Um, The Holy Spirit plays a huge role, and I want us to talk about that. So if you have your Bibles, go to Romans 12, and I'm going to start us with prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, If, if these people are anything like me, they have some presuppositions about the Holy Spirit from what they've either been taught or not been taught. I pray that you would give us a fresh, clear, biblical look and understanding of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's role and work in our lives. That we would not quench the Holy Spirit, but that we would walk in the Holy Spirit. And today, Lord, there, when it comes to the application of this message, I believe, I believe that it can be maybe the most life-changing thing that we can ever apply to our life forevermore may not change our life tomorrow, but, it, but I believe that if we walk in what we're about ready to see in Scripture, it will change our lives a year, five years, ten years down the road. Please give us the, the discipline to walk faithfully in where the Holy Spirit desires to work in and through us. Please speak to our hearts May it not be my words, but may it be yours. We pray all these things in your glorious, wonderful name. And everyone said, <clears throat> amen. How'd you know? How'd you know? Thank you. I was, you were walking in the spirit there, right? Uh-huh. The other 90 of you, you didn't. So you quenched the Holy Spirit. Bryce quenched my thirst by walking in. So I, I come up with this stuff on the top of my head. And only happy you laugh. Shame on you. Romans 12. <clears throat> Romans 12. We're just going to deal with um, one verse, at least to begin with. Um, probably the first um, chunk of our time is going to be very preachy, very kind of looking at what the Word of God says. And then I want to spend the last part application. Um, and, and so let's get going. Romans 12, verse 2. It is a huge verse. We're literally going to take it um, word by word, phrase by phrase. Um, So we understand what's being said here. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal. Everyone say renewal on the count of three. One, two, three. Renewal. We're alive. We're alive. By the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
So I'm going to start from the back end here. And there's a couple things I just want you to see. The first thing is this. Notice that the will of God is described as good, pleasing, and then what's that last word? Perfect. There is no greater, more significant, more joyful, more wonderful, more delightful place to be in your life than smack dab in the middle of the will of God. It may be the most uncomfortable place you will ever be in your life, but listen to me. There is no greater joy. There is no greater delight. There is no greater awe. There is no greater wonder than in the middle of the will of God, even if it's difficult, hard, exhausting, or wearisome. So so I, I just hope you see that. There is no better place than the will of God. We need to spend a a little bit of time just talking about the will of God and making sure we have a correct understanding because there's a lot of things that go into play when it comes to talking about the will of God. There's a lot of maybe misconceptions when it comes to the will of God. So so let me start by just saying this. When you look at Scripture, there are two um, predominant understandings of God's will for our lives. So I I want to put a picture in your mind of of maybe a a train track. So on a train track, you have two rails, right? They are separate, but they run parallel to one another. And so I want you to think of God's will with that picture. You have one rail in which this rail represents the biblical understanding of God's, we'd call it maybe God's sovereign will. So when you look at scripture, it's going to tell us that when it comes to God's will, God's sovereign will is everything that comes to pass. So everything that has ever happened in your life is God's will, even the bad stuff. There has never been a moment in history, whether it's in your life or someone else's life, in which God was up in heaven and went, oops, I, I, didn't, I didn't mean that to happen. Never once. And so maybe the best description we can get for this is in Revelation 13. It says, before the foundations of the world, Jesus Christ would be crucified. So, so I want you to know that it says before the foundations of the world, before Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heaven, heavens and the earth, before that ever happened, it was ordained by God's sovereign will that Jesus Christ would come, live the perfect life you need to live, and then go and Die on the cross for your sins. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not plan B, C, or D. It's plan A. Now check it. That's massive implications because if you believe that that's true, that Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection was ordained by the sovereignty of God before the foundations of the world, that means it was God's will for Eve to eat the apple and same with Adam. That that all of what you see, even the bad stuff, is God's will. I get that that raises a ton of questions. That that, that frankly, at the end of the day, the, the answer is, hey, God's sovereign, I'm not. There's stuff that he does that is so beyond my knowledge and understanding, I can't go there because he's God, infinite. I'm not, nor are you, sorry, nor are you, and you're finite. 
So you have one rail of God's sovereignty is, is this, his sovereign will, everything that comes to pass. But then you have um, the other rail, and, and the other rail that runs parallel is God's, so, or excuse me, God's will is his commanded will. That, that is another understanding of God's, uh, another biblical understanding of God's will is his commanded will. And so, um, if you're like, what is God's commanded will? God's commanded will is everything you see in Scripture. That's, that's God's commanded will for your life. Love your neighbor as yourself. God's commanded will. Love the Lord your God. God's commanded will. Do not be bitter. God's commanded will. Love. Be humble. God's commanded will. Husbands, lay down your life for your wife. God's commanded will. So, so. We look at this text, and, and you might ask the question, okay, which, which will are we talking about? Are, are we talking about God's sovereign will, or are we talking about God's commanded will? And the answer is, is very straightforward. We are talking about God's commanded will. The Apostle Paul is writing about discerning God's commanded will. We know that because 99.9% of the time, you will not be able to discern God's sovereign will. You do not know what's going to happen to you tomorrow. You do not know if you will live through this year. You do not know. There are aspects about God's sovereign will that, that, that we will just will never know. But when it comes to God's commanded will, we are almost always able to discern it. And, and I would just, I think this is worth including. There, I wouldn't call it another rail. I'd, I'd say it's a rail connected to God's commanded will. And, and that's the stuff that the Bible does not explicitly say is the will of God. But, but God's commanded will helps us see the stuff is not necessarily uh, God's, not, not explicitly said God's commanded will. So here, here's an example, because I didn't say that well. Here's an example. Um, the Bible will not tell you the name of the person you should marry. God's commanded will will not tell you what school you should go to. God's commanded will does not tell you if you should take that job or that job. God's commanded will does not tell you if you should buy that house or that house. God's commanded will does not tell you what car to drive. But, but listen, guys, God's commanded will tells us a ton of stuff about the kind of person we should marry. And so God may not say, Zach, Melissa is the one for you. But, but when I was dating Melissa, I could look at God's commanded will and go, okay, this is the kind of gal that she is. And man, I'm just crazy about her. Lord, it's got to be your will, all right? <laughs> um, and, and I think that this is also helpful to throw in. How we walk in God's commanded will will paint a very clear picture of what God's sovereign will will be in the future. Not that we can determine it, but let me put it this way. Husbands, if you are not walking in the will of God with your wife, most anyone could tell you, how things are going to play out over the next few years if you are not going to walk in the will of God as a husband. If, if you are not walking in the will of God when it comes to how you view finances and, and how the Bible says you ought to view finances, I could look at your life and go, okay, there's probably a few ways this is going to play out. 
And so what I want you to see here is that we do have God's sovereign will, which we cannot know, but what we can know, what we can discern almost all the time is God's commanded will for our life. So how do we do that? How do we discern what God's commanded will is? Let's look at this text. The very first part of it says, do not be conformed to this world. In in other words, don't think like the rest of the world thinks. There's a way in which our world, our culture thinks, the Apostle Paul saying, don't don't run that route. And, And by the way, is it just me or am I seeing more and more Christians walking in the conformity of this world when it comes to their thinking. So, for example, here's the way predominantly our world thinks. Um, truth is relative. Hey, what you believe is what you believe. That's, that's true to you. I'll just be true to myself. And so, truth is relative. And, and so, that's the way our culture thinks. But the way the Bible teaches is truth is not relative. Truth is absolutely absolute. And some of us, we can, I don't think on purpose, very accidentally walk in the culture of our world and think like our world and just say, okay, you know, truth is relative. You know why? Because that's so nice. Isn't it so nice just going, okay, you believe that, you believe that, whatever. Let's just, let's just live our lives. It's just, it's easier that way for the most part. Until someone slaps you and you're like, okay, that, that may be true to you, but that was not true to me, okay? So that's not okay. But, but Paul is saying there's a way the world thinks, don't buy into it. Don't walk in it. Now this is where it gets very, very key for us to look at. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Here's what I want you to see, and I think I saw this for the very first time studying this passage this time around. Notice that what Paul points out is for us to discern the will of God, it's not so much what we do as much as who we become, as much as who we are supposed to be. Notice he says, but, what's that word? Be transformed. Be something. Why? Why doesn't Paul just give us a list of, here you go, this is how to walk in the will of God. Do this, 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 and that, and you're good. Why does he tell us something to be? Now here's another thing that just kind of blew my mind. I was listening to um, my favorite preacher, and at this point, maybe you know who he is. Uh, His name is John Piper, because I just love him. Uh, But as I was preparing for this, he said something about this text that it's like, that is very intuitive. He points this out, that probably 95% of your behavior and my behavior is completely spontaneous. Like, 95% of your behavior, what you say, what you think, how you say it, is is completely spontaneous. You're just having a conversation, and what comes out is what comes out. You don't necessarily think about it. Driving here, you made probably a hundred, a few hundred 
decisions, get in the right lane, get in the left lane, go 51, go 48, turn here, turn there. So many just spontaneous decisions without ever thinking about it. And, and you don't go through this process of, okay, is it the will of God or not the will of God to um, turn right? Now, that, that's very inconsequential. But, but how about this? Is it the will of God or is it not the will of God to mutter that underneath my breath when that person cuts me off? Do you ever, do you ever take the three or four seconds to, to you know, take it through the, the system of is this God's will or not for me to mutter, mutter something underneath my breath to that person? Or does it not just come out? Someone cuts you off, what happens? Spontaneity behavior. So in the heat of the moment, okay, this is not going to hit home for any of you, so I'm really sorry, but I need to give the example, even though it's so far-fetched. In the heated moment where your spouse says something that hurts you, do you think about what you feel and what you say next? Some of you really holy people are like, yeah, I'll pray about it for like eight hours too, Zach. <laughs> the rest of you just blurt it out. About 95% of your behavior and my behavior, it just happens. It just comes out. You know what it comes out of? The overflow of your heart. The overflow of your mind. Maybe this is just me, but there are certain things my kid will do at 9 in the morning, and then he'll do the same exact thing at 5.45 in the evening and sometimes my response is completely different. There's so much freshness in the mind here. They have worn me down. Now granted, I'm, I'm not a stay-at-home dad, and so this only happens on Fridays and Saturdays on my days off, but at the end of the day, my response is a bit different. Why? Because my heart and my mind have, have, have been changed, have they not? And so 95% of your decisions that you make and how you make them are spontaneous and they are spontaneous according to where your heart and mind is at. It's just, it's overflow. It's overflow. And so that's why Paul says, hey, it's not so much about what you do as, as much as it's about what you are becoming. As much as who you are. And here's the last thing I have to say about the will of God that's very, very important that is tied into this. I think a lot of Christians make the mistake of applying the will of God to only one context in their life. They only talk about the will of God in those five or six big decisions you have to make this year. You think about the will of God. Should I marry this person? Should I go to that school? Should we have more children? Should we go on this trip? Should, should we adopt? Should we become foster parents? Should we, 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 we think about the will of God in those big situations, but we fail to realize that, that we need to understand that the will of God is at work in our lives every single day. Get this, every single hour. And I think that we can miss out massively on little, little, tiny things God is calling you to do through the moments of your day that will have massive compounding effects 
later. And we just miss it because we only think of God's will in the sense of big decisions. So, so think of it this way. Um, how many little decisions do you have of maybe investing in someone or living the gospel out at work and you just, you just don't? Because it just is very uncomfortable in the moment. Or, or God's will on having that couple over for dinner or not. And you just miss out on it because it seems so inconsequential to you. And, and maybe God is using that little moment, that little decision, that little reaction that is filled with grace rather than attitude. Maybe he's using it for massive things ahead. Are, are you tracking with me? Are you tracking? So... We need to see the will of God that way. We need to see that the will of God in discerning it is not so much about what we do as much as who we become. So he talks about who we ought to become. But be transformed, be different, in other words, change by the renewal of your mind. Now, I asked you to say renewal out loud for a very specific reason. Because why doesn't the Apostle Paul say, be transformed by a new mind? Be transformed by a new mind. Why does he say renewal instead? This word renew literally means to be made new again. Here's why. If you read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it talks about when someone comes to know Christ as their Savior, they are a brand new, not renewed, a brand new creation. The, the, the mind's made new. The heart's made new. So you are this new creation as a believer in Christ. But then if you read Romans 7, if you read Colossians 3, if you read Galatians 5 in a big way, you, you see that even though we are new and we have the Holy Spirit in us, we still have our old flesh. And they are at war against one another. And so I hope you know that over and over again in the Word of God, it talks about how the Christian life is war. Your Christian life is filled with war. And one of the wars that is being waged is your flesh is trying to draw you back to your old self when the Holy Spirit's trying to lead you in your new self. And so paint this picture for you. You become this new creation in Christ and the Spirit is leading you to His newness, to His will, but your flesh is constantly trying to make you do a U-turn and go back to that lust. To, to go back to those actions. To go back to the way that you used to live. And so Paul says, here's the deal. You need to be renewed. Here's the deal. Your heart and your mind is constantly trying to turn the other way. You need to be renewed in those moments. So you keep moving forward instead of going backwards. And here's where I want us to close. How do we have this renewed mind? Because when we have this renewed mind, it takes our heart and it takes our mind to the place that when the 95% of our decisions and our behavior, what spills over the renewed mind is the will of God, not the will of man. So how do we have this renewed mind? 
there's a lot of passages you could go to. 2 Corinthians 3.18 puts it most clearly and concisely. In 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this. And we all with unveiled face, Paul is kind of summarizing what he had just said before and and pretty much what he is saying is if you do not know Jesus, you have a veil over your eyes. You can't see the glory of God. You can't see that you need the gospel. It's, It's so difficult for you to see that. I spoke at a high school camp all this past week and I was walking with students who just had this veil over their eyes and just couldn't see the glory of God for the longest time and he's saying okay now that you're a Christian that veil's gone you can see the glory and the wonder and the beauty of the gospel that you need now you with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed so there's our word into the same image from one degree of glory to another For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So a few things just to observe. The first thing is this. That when we behold the glory of the Lord, we begin to start looking like the glory of the Lord. What is the most glorious thing that we know and understand and have in the Lord? Hebrews 1 says that Jesus Christ is the exact radiance of God's glory. What is the most glorious thing that we have about God? The gospel. That you and I are more sinful and more rebellious than we could ever imagine. Yet, at the very same moment, You are more loved and accepted in Christ Jesus than you could have ever dared hoped. That that is the central aspect of God's glory. And the Apostle Paul is saying, you want to be transformed by the renewing of your mind? You you want to be made different? You want to have that renewed mind? Here's what you need to do. Behold the glory of the gospel. Look into it to such a degree that it starts reflecting on you, that it starts changing you, it starts killing your sin and your passions. This word behold, I kind of thought it just simply meant look intently at, stare. But this Greek word for behold, it really actually means to look at something as if it's a mirror. Not just to see it for what it is, but to see it for what it's supposed to do to you. And then notice this. It says, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. In other words, this is the work of the Spirit. It is your job and it is my job to walk in the faithfulness of beholding the gospel. And it's through that that the Holy Spirit starts changing you. Starts, starts making you more into the image of God. And, and so I just want to close very, very quickly and just give you seven practical ways. I'm going to get you like, oh dear, don't worry, we're going fast. 
Seven practical ways to behold the gospel, behold the glory of the Lord that will stir your affections for Jesus and renew your mind. And and here's the first one. Friends, you must, you must, not you should, you must, not you should, you must, everyone say must, you must have daily quiet time where it's just you and the Lord. Do you know what happens when I do not spend just, just quiet time with my wife? Our relationship is affected. And I bet it's the same in your marriage. I bet it's the same with your kids. Why would we think it's any different with the Lord? If you do not have a daily quiet time with the Lord, which is just you and the Lord, you, you, you will have the hardest, it will be impossible for you to have a continued renewed mind. Here's the next thing. Set aside a set amount of time to study the Bible every day. Guys, if you are not in the Word daily, it will be impossible for you to know God's commanded will. You know, want to know why? Because it's in here. You want to know God's commanded will? Read the Bible. That's it. That's it because it's all in there. This is how you should live in light of the gospel. The next thing is this. Set aside a a set amount of time to pray. Uh, Listen, I love it when people are like, you know what, my prayer life, it's just, it's one of those, I just pray as things come up. I'm praying all throughout the day. Like, please keep it up. But how great do you think my relationship with Melissa would be if I, if our relationship was solely based on just texting one another as, as things kind of came up? Guys, Set aside a time in, in the midst of your quiet time where you get on your face. I dare you to get on your face and spend time praying to your Savior and asking for a renewed mind. Like, I get that you're busy. I get that you have kids, but you also have a husband and, 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 and the husband, you have a wife. Like, trade off. You, you get the kids for 20 minutes, and then I get the kids for 20 minutes. We're going to have 40 times, 40 times, 40 minutes where we're just going to split it and get alone with the Lord. And then see what happens to your relationship for the rest of the evening when you do that, or the rest of the day if you do that in the morning. The next thing is this. I think this is huge. I do not have a Bible verse for it, but I have a book of the Bible for it. Journal about beholding the glory of the gospel and the transformation it is bringing. I don't have a Bible verse, but I got the whole book of Psalms. Do you know what the book of Psalms are? For the most part, it's guys in their journal time beholding the glory of the gospel and asking that it would transform their lives. I dare you to journal. I journal 80-90% of my prayers, and here's what's great. I get to go back to my journal and see the crazy stuff I prayed for that I'm so thankful God said no to. I get to see the crazy stuff I prayed for, stopped praying for, and God in his faithfulness still answered it. Here's the last, no, not the last one, sorry. Um, Here's a huge one, and this is more recent for me. Listen to and sing along to worship music. Maybe this is not you, but here's what I found is that one of the things that stirs my affections for Jesus more than anything and renews my mind and, and just, just builds a bonfire for um, passion for Jesus is worship. And I only get it once a week. 
And so here's what I do. I just put on my headphones and I, and I put on some songs and I worship and it stirs my heart. It stirs my affections so greatly for Jesus and it renews my mind. Please do that. And then here's another one. Maybe this doesn't do it for you, but listening to sermons stirs my affections for Christ. It renews my mind. There are so many great sermon resources out there. I beg of you to trade your morning commute talk show radio, not every week, not every day, because I get you need to stay in touch with the political world or to trade that nasty um, DJ you listen to anyway and put on a sermon and let that start your day. See what happens. I guarantee it will refresh, renew your heart and mind. And here's the last one. Read Christian books that will stir up your affections for Jesus. Buy them on tape and listen to them on the car ride. Because guys, if you do not have a renewed heart in the gospel, what will spill over is, is not the will of God as much as your own personal will. And when we walk, when we walk faithfully in these seven things that I just mentioned, the Holy Spirit shows up and works and moves. But if we're not faithful, we are, we are quenching the Holy Spirit in our lives. We are shutting the door for the Holy Spirit to work and move in our affections, in our mind, in our heart. And so I encourage you to start this discipline because it will change your life down the road. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would stir in the hearts of of, of our people here this morning such a deep affection for you, Jesus, such a deep love that these seven things that were just listed, they would not be a discipline or a duty, but, but rather a delight that they will not be able to wait until they can set their alarm clock extra early tonight so they can wake up and get alone with you. They can wake up and get on their face with you. Father, would you be so faithful? Holy Spirit, would you be so faithful that as we walk in pursuing the renewed mind, would you do the work of renewing it? Because all we're doing is reading, all we're doing is praying, all we're doing is worshiping, but you are the one that changes our heart. You are the one that renews our mind. Father, please give us the faithfulness and the delight to do these things this week. Pray all these things in your precious name. Amen.